people said, yeah, you're great, but no, because you're female, we're going to go with this other people down the road. And don't let it get to me. I just every time think, okay, I'll be down for a minute. And then how can I do it different or better next time? And again, not let people tell me no. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast. Before I introduce this week's guest, as always, guys, leave me a review on iTunes so I can rate it on the show and give you guys a shout out. Appreciate y'all. All right. Well, I'm sitting here this afternoon with my guest, Lindsay Mersman, Chief Revenue Officer at EAG Services and EAG One Source. Lindsay, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good for a Wednesday, although it feels like a Tuesday after a holiday. Oh, I'm telling you, my days are all mixed up. You just, <laughs> that happens after every holiday. Yeah, so it it's a good thing. And then also kind of makes everything a little more hectic. <laughs> yeah. Shorter week, same amount of work, got to fit it all in. I get you. That's right. Yeah. So Lindsay, let's discuss how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Sure. So I've been around oil and gas my entire life, but was not originally on a path to work in it. My both stepmom and dad were involved, my brothers and different family members, but I just wasn't, I did a different path, industrial sales, pharmaceutical sales, some hospitality stuff. And in a crossroads in my life, about eight and a half years ago, some friends of mine in oil and gas just said, Lindsay, we're working with this firm and we think you need to meet them. Not that you have experience in what they do, but we just really think this would be a great fit for you. And you would be a part of their culture, like you'd fit right in. And so those same friends who were clients of EAG kind of did the same thing in reverse to our CEO, Elizabeth Gerbel, and said, you need to look at this person, you need to meet them because we think that she'd fit with your organization, even though her background isn't what you do. So really, <laughs> it's that the power of who you know, I guess, through friendships, people knowing what I've done in my career and my kind of mindset and how to go to work every day. And then also what EAG was doing for them. They just thought, gosh, these two people should meet. And here I am eight plus years later at EAG. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd always been interested in it, but just didn't really have a pathway until meeting this organization. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so how is that transition from, you know, working for Eli Lilly to moving into the industry? Yeah. So what I found is that the sales that I did before, and then my initial position at EAG as an analyst delivering projects, you know, I'd done relationship sales, solution selling, and really just helping through, you know, customers issues, whether it was at Ingersoll Rand industrial sales or Eli Lilly helping, you know, doctors and patients navigate through symptoms and things that were going on. And so I think that customer service element of my background lended very well to consulting. So I really started out implementing land software and participating from a change management and training perspective, 
really kind of listening to both parties. Well, actually three parties, the software vendor, the client, and then our team and figuring out how to help them all communicate and speak the same language, even though all three had completely different initiatives. And so I did have to learn the industry, but I was aware of it. And I grew up in Oklahoma and that's a big part of Oklahoma, but it was really about the people element and helping them all connect and be on the same level and work well together, which is what I learned everything up until starting at EAG. Gotcha. So how was that transition, especially as a woman in the oil and gas industry? Did you have any challenges or face issues that way? There definitely were some challenges working within land and land administration, a very male, you know, kind of dominated side of the business. But I don't always look at things that way. And I didn't let the fact that I'm a woman, you know, not let me have a voice. So, you know, respectfully, I learned from my male colleagues and clients and found my space in the industry probably had to overcome some hurdles. But, you know, to me, it was all a fun challenge. In pharmaceuticals, I was doing the same thing every day. After a few months, you just kind of rinse and repeat. So I took that just like learning what oil and gas is as a challenge, which really just drove me forward and got me to where I am today. Excellent. All right. So let's let's talk about your current role now and what you're doing and what EAG does. So I'm going to start off talking about the company and then I'll transition into my role as chief revenue officer for EAG. As you said at the beginning of the podcast, I represent both EAG Services and EAG OneSource. And although there's two names, there's really one umbrella overarching EAG that has a group of leaders across both, but offers different things for the oil and gas industry. So our initial business, EAG Services, has been around for 18 years, providing back office consulting services for oil and gas companies. So focused on both upstream and midstream as it relates to accounting, production, land, transportation, all those back office functions. And over the 18 years, we've helped clients select, implement, convert, optimize their systems, processes, and data. So that's the services side. And in 2016, really 15, in one of the downturns, which there's been many, <laughs> right? <laughs> we started really focusing on merger and acquisition services, and we're all prepared for a lot of activity there. Little did we know it would be a year or so later, but in late six, 2016 and in 2017, we helped a lot of private equity startups go from zero to a whole lot in a very short amount of time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So things that we used to be able to take a year to do, like implement a new ERP, we were then challenged with doing that in a hopefully three month or six month time frame. Sometimes they'd say, we have no TSA, be live tomorrow. But we did that. <laughs> we did that time and time again as EAG services. And in talking with our clients, they kept saying to Elizabeth and, and me, hey, you guys are selecting our software. You're training our people. You know, you know, these systems. Have you guys thought about outsourcing? Have you thought about just going ahead and providing the resources because we don't really like our options in the industry and you guys kind of already know it. And oh, by the way, we don't really want to build out an IT department either. Have you thought about outsourcing that? And so really in conjunction with our clients, we took all of the knowledge we have from consulting and turned it into what EAG One Source is, which is a full service back office and IT outsourcing organization. And that company was formed in 2017, but really got going in 18 and 19. Again, another 
you know, downturn emerged around that time, (laughs) Um, but we persevered. And so that's really the two organizations. We have EAG Services, our consulting arm, and then EAG OneSource, our outsourcing organization that isn't for everyone, right? There's some companies that that really aligns with. And so we provide different outsourcing services depending on our client's business model. Good. Excellent. You know, some of our audience doesn't know what a chief revenue officer actually does. Maybe explain that a little bit. Sure. So my role as chief revenue officer for EAG is really to drive all sales and marketing efforts for our organization. And so sales is driving, you know, relationships in the industry, new projects that are coming in across all of our service lines and making sure we have enough to continue to keep all of our employees busy and grow because that's what we want to do. In addition to all of the marketing side of things, so that's actually our voice and our image in the industry. So being the chief revenue officer is a role that I take very seriously, and it's not just go sell and do whatever. It's really about making sure our culture, EAG's culture, which is very important to us, and that our message is true to who we are, and then also resonates and is relevant to the industry. If I, you know, I can't just think that something's a good idea. It really needs to actually be impactful and useful to the industry. So that's really what my job is, is helping kind of steer the direction that we're going at EAG from a service line standpoint, while also driving our revenue and finding new relationships in the industry from both a vendor, because we work with vendors often, as well as a client standpoint. Excellent. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? So I would say a piece of advice from like from me is just perseverance, like keep going. There have been many times in the last eight and a half years when people have told me you can't do that or why do you think you should be able to do that or door closed because our name's EAG, not fill in the other acronym name that's, you know, nationwide. And through all that time, I just kept going and leveraged the wonderful people that I work with here with the knowledge base and believing in what we did to keep trying, right? To not let, not take that stuff personal when someone says, no, you're not fill in the blank and just proving our worth, doing good work and staying at it. And that's really what Elizabeth and I have done over the last five years. And I think in the last two, we've really gotten some industry recognition for that and are more of a household name than we were back in 2016 when I moved into business development. Right, right. So is it the no, you can't do this that drove you harder? 100%. Okay. Yeah, because everybody kind of works a different way. And I know when someone tells me no, I'm like, oh, wait, honey, (laughs) let me show you. Yeah. No, definitely for me. And what that took for me was I didn't come from industry initially, right? My first kind of fundamental learning of functional oil and gas was in the land space, but I knew that I couldn't just stay there, right? I needed to keep learning and not to one up anyone or say, well, I know how to do revenue accounting because I don't. And any of my clients that I talk to know that I'll talk for a certain amount of time and I say, okay, let me call in the expert. But it was to continuously be learning functionality within oil and gas that's important, value drivers of business, and not to just stay in one area, but to really kind of understand what's going on, what's 
changing from a global standpoint that's going to impact the industry and just be knowledgeable across it so that if someone said, no, you can't, I could back up, you know, what I was trying to do really be relevant in the, in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what book influenced you the most and why? So I can't say that I'm a huge business book reader and I've read some and some about sales and marketing, but I would say the one that has driven me and actually EAG as a whole is the ideal team player. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one or if anyone, you know, listening to this has read it. It's by Patrick Lynn Kion. I'm not going to say that right, but anyway. <laughs> it's okay. We have the name of it, so I'm sure it can be found. <laughs> He's got a lot of different books out there that are great, but this one really helped us transform EAG probably over five or six years ago when we just started looking at what the makeup of our organization, what works well and what doesn't, and what are the type of people that we want to work with. And the mottos of the ideal team player are being hungry, being humble, and being smart. And, you know, that has just been huge to me. It helps me when I'm interacting with other people to think about their drivers and how to communicate with them, as well as keeping me on track with what I want to be and, you know, embracing the EAG culture. So everyone in our organization reads that book and kind of practices those principles on a daily basis of being hungry, humble, and smart. And actually from a hiring standpoint, if people don't necessarily fit within those categories, it's kind of an indicator to us as to whether they'll be a fit for our company or not. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. And that's a two-way street, right? Right. Like there's a culture and you either fit or you don't. It doesn't mean you're not a good employee or contributor to oil and gas. You just might not be right for EAG. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happens across the board. It doesn't matter where you go. It's just, you know, sometimes you're not meant to do that job and maybe maybe you just belong somewhere else. It's just, you know, funny how the how the world works. But what would you say is your most used business tool, Lindsay? My most used business tool, (laughs) I think it's, I mean, especially being in, you know, sales and and marketing, it's really about learning how to communicate with people. So it's not a specific tool or a technology out there. Of course, I have to take notes and, you know, remember certain things about people, but it's really being able to listen to what people are saying and turn that into action. And I think that just comes from, you know, my background, what I've been doing for a long time and how I genuinely like to interact with people. So it's not a specific technology. It's more of, I think, my approach to interactions and kind of that personality driving factors. It's human science, right? It's the interaction and the the psychology of it all. Right. I guess the way I interpret it, what you just said was you learn that person's language and you learn how to speak to them and maybe help others understand as well. That's 100 percent. it. Yeah. Back in pharmaceutical days, it was a disk assessment or something like that. And then you would you know, do one on other people and learn their languages. And I really found that communication became much better when I wasn't just communicating for me to communicate, but I was listening and actually having a conversation. And so that's what I try to do all the time is not just talk to talk, but right. what's important to them and interpret that into something that hopefully is mutually beneficial for both whoever I'm talking to and myself. Well, and how's it been, especially during this pandemic and, and thank goodness we're coming out of it, but you know, when I do these interviews, it's the body language that makes it personal for me. 
And how have you adapted to that, trying to do that through video? Yeah, that's been interesting. You know, after a few months of everyone getting used to video, it almost became better to turn the video back off. Yeah. (laughs) People were having their video on, but not actually even still communicating. So, I mean, this is, you know, pretty simple, but just actually listening is how I've done that the best. And again, showing video where I can, but also clearly entering into a meeting with what we're about to talk about and exiting a meeting with what we decided and where we're headed, even if that's an internal thing, working on an initiative. But, you know, the days of walking down the hall and following up on something are over. So being very clear and concise in all elements of that communication has become very important for for me and my job. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, and for me and mine as well. So I definitely understand. I just kind of wanted to see how you've dealt with it and adapted. I'm very glad, though, that things are getting back to normal for, you know, many months of last year. It was really, really hard to even find out how to communicate with someone, right? They're not. Yeah. There's not a phone number. They're getting 200 plus emails more a day than they were before. So it's been a challenge. And honestly, I think I and my team went to using some media sources such as podcasts or LinkedIn or, you know, different types of media to get the word out more than we ever had before. Well, that's good. Good. Utilizing what you have. We'll be prepared for the next one, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it doesn't happen. Uh, Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. All right. So who do you think is your most respected competitor? My most respected competitor is an organization that's similar to mine, but then also competes in a totally different way. It's been interesting to, because we do compete on things, but we often collaborate and share ideas. And our skill sets, although overlapping, kind of complement each other at the same time. So they're more of an SAP shop, but dabble in kind of the mid-tier stuff that my company thrives in. And I think they're my most respected competitor because they've kind of gone at it in a similar way to EAG, which uh-huh. is, you know, building relationships, making sure we get the reference and, you know, having those clients long-term and as they move throughout the industry to different organizations. So that's probably my most respected competitor. We compete, but we've also found out, figured out how to collaborate with each other. That's good. That's always good. But there's also that that balance of healthy competition that has always kind of like driven me. So I was just kind of get trying to get your take on it. Competition, well, just like the you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, then that. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I asked the question. That's that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. What is your most important lesson learned? My most important lesson learned. I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier on my advice, but don't you know? Don't let it get to you or beat you down. I've gotten some really negative feedback. I've gotten, you know, times when people won't answer the phone. I've, you know, people said, yeah, you're great, but no, because you're female, we're going to go with this other people down the road and don't let it get to me. I just, every time think, okay, I'll be down for a minute. And then how can I do it different or better next time? And again, not let people tell me no, right. There's always something to learn in that. No, it's, your approach didn't make sense, or maybe you guys don't have as strong of a skill set there, or maybe you had a negative reference that you need to go back and try to fix. So, you know, my 
thing is to don't take it too personal. Don't let it get you down and try to get better. You know, the next day, do better, learn from it, change your approach. Very good. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of oil and gas? I think it's important to the future of oil and gas. Hmm. Yeah, I like to throw curveballs. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in my role, you know, one of the things about it, whether it's marketing content we're putting out or, you know, clients that we're pitching to is to stay relevant and stay ahead of the curve. So, you know, my role or my team's role in oil and gas will be to continue to introduce new and different things to the industry, whether it's from a technology standpoint or a way of going about doing a data conversion, as simple as that may seem, it can be very complex, but it will be to continue to introduce more innovative ways to do things. And for us to be able to introduce that, we have to be thinking about that as a company and, you know, creating whatever that innovation is or partnering with vendors who are doing innovative things and learning it and growing. And I have to learn that alongside the people that are delivering those projects, right, to be able to talk to the industry and make it relevant. So I think that's how my role will impact the industry is just kind of keeping us on that curve of innovation and introducing new, whether it's products, services, or ways of thinking, you know, as I'm out talking in the industry. Very good answer. So what's your favorite podcast? So I was a little bit late to the podcast game mm-hmm. and actually just about three years ago, started listening to some of the like This American Life and true crime stuff. Oh yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah, it opened again, late to the game, but it opened my mind to podcasts. And so luckily I live close to the office or unluckily because I don't have as much time in the car to listen to podcasts as I used to. But those were actually kind of my favorite ones because I could just decompress from work and everything and just listen to something totally different than, you know, what my brain is thinking about all day long. Yeah. You're trying to solve the mystery as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. I absolutely love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me again, Lindsay. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about EAG, how might they go about doing that? Sure. You can go to either of our websites. Uh, They link to each other, but eagservices.com or eag1, that's the number one source.com. You know, you can find out more about the services I talked about today. And of course, you can always reach out to, to me or my team. We'd love to hear more about what you're doing, whether you're a vendor, potential partner, or a client, an oil and gas operator, upstream or midstream. Perfect. Awesome. All right, so that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. 
First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.